Hey guys, it's good to see you, uh, uh, rather to be seen by you today. I want to say a special shout out to uh, New Beginnings Community Church. I am delighted to be here with two of my really dear friends, Pastor John Ortberg here from Menlo Church, who's also hosting uh, this production, and Pastor Gary Gadini from uh, Peninsula Covenant Church. I want to thank you guys for agreeing to do this. I called these guys up and said, listen, given the context that's going on, why don't we have a discussion uh, that we can tape for our congregations uh, around faith, race, and justice? And why don't we agree to work through a passage together? And they immediately said yes. And uh, so that's what we're going to do together here today. And uh, Pastor John. And I want to say hi to everybody from Menlo Church, uh, but also to Covenant Church. My dad grew up Covenant. So ah, I nice. Deep roots there. And new beginnings. Uh, Pastor Herman and I both share a Presbyterian background. Absolutely. And I remember when you first came out here. Yes. And uh, having conversations together. And there'd be moments of... Uh, you know, real deep questions, both of us asking a ministry and being able to do that, talk about it, pray together is really good. Yes. And same thing, Pastor Gary, I think about some times of real deep conversations. So uh, I'm very grateful when Pastor Herman called and asked, I said, you name the time and place and I'll be there. And he said, okay, your place and this time. And so here I am. (laughs) Excellent. Hey, and I want to give a shout out to all of you at PCC, as well as Menlo and New Beginnings. And thank you for joining us in this conversation. I want to add, I feel like we're one. Uh, this isn't just about pastors coming together. These are friends, and I am grateful to be on this platform with my two brothers in Christ. Excellent. So would you open us in prayer? Love to. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this moment, for this opportunity. I thank you so much for uh, Pastor Herman and for Pastor Gary and the congregations that we get to serve. And now we're at a moment in... Uh, our nation, in our world, where the need for you, the need for a word from you is so great. So thank you that we can be part of a conversation that you are leading and be in our thoughts and our words in these next moments. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. 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 So guys, I've been working through this passage for the last couple of weeks, John chapter 11, uh, beginning at uh, verse 33, and it's going to frame our time together. It's a rich passage. I've often used it to really talk about how Jesus models for us uh, how to engage with uh, those who are suffering. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's the context uh, to frame our discussion. So let me just read. I'm going to kind of skip through this, but uh, let me give you the bulk of what's going on here. Uh, Beginning at verse 33, it says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face 
wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. It's a powerful text, guys. Mm-hmm. This is super, super powerful text. Let me just begin by uh, one of the things that jumps out at me uh, as I as I think about this text uh, is how it starts. And for those of you who maybe just contextually, uh, Jesus shows up at uh, Bethany because a dear friend of his, Lazarus, has died. In my reading of the text, he's died prematurely. And he runs into both of Lazarus' sisters. At this point, he's running into Mary. Mary really comes at him screaming, uh, really. She's in uh, horrific pain. She falls at his feet. And she says, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mm. And the insight for me really starts, guys, at this particular point, because in a real sense, she's yelling, she's screaming at him. And at best, she's saying, you let me down. Mm. Uh, Mm. And at worst, she's saying, uh, you know, I think I'm questioning your love Mm -hmm. uh, for me and my family. Where were you? That's what she's saying. Where were you? And what, what strikes out, what pops out to me is that Jesus does not defend himself. Hmm. Hmm. He, he does not seek to answer the question. He does not defend himself. Hmm. And by not defending himself, he creates a safe place hmm. yeah. for real dialogue to happen because hmm. he recognizes that she's coming at him out of her trauma. And what is needed is a safe space uh, for dialogue. Let's start there. Guys, what do you guys think about that? Uh, Honestly, I never thought about Mm -hmm. that dimension of Jesus' response Mm -hmm. until you said it. Uh, And I love it because it strikes me this is a moment when, with all of the pain and the the anger and the exhaustion, um, we got to talk. And if we're going to be able to talk, there has to be safety. People have to be able to feel like, I can express my anger, pain, rage uh, for somebody who looks at George Floyd and they say, that's my son, that's my brother, that's, th- that has to be able to be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for somebody who's white to be able to say, I have questions, I'm afraid if I speak what it is that I truthfully feel or think, I'll be labeled a racist, mm-hmm. and that's so awful, I won't say anything. So that, like, please God, could the church be a safe place to have that yes. conversation? Yes. Can we find a way to be like Jesus yes. and respond in a way that says, everybody, wherever you are, you come here and we'll be able to talk? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and Pastor John, I think we must find that way to be like Jesus, to be that safe space, mm-hmm. to allow our culture to come and lament in rage or anger and just be able to absorb that. Uh, I think we'll miss uh, being a relevant gospel outpost if we don't create those spaces or even go into those spaces as a church. Yeah. Mm. So the question kind of jumps out at me because inside of this is the question, how does one be a faithful Jesus follower? in this moment. Mm. If I'm African-American, how do I be a faithful Jesus follower? If I'm white or Asian or Latino, how do I be a faithful Jesus follower in this moment? But why don't you guys speak to that? What, 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 as you think about this text 
and the question about being a faithful Jesus follower. And Pastor Gary, you wrote in some notes earlier, you said, well, this notion of being a faithful Jesus follower, it has an internal aspect and it has an external aspect. What? Why don't you share about yeah, that? Yeah, it struck me in reading this, and, and when you gave us the text, was twice in verse 33 and in verse 38, we get this glimpse into Jesus' internal emotion. Mm-hmm. And the word deeply moved is used twice. And I think the first thing that struck me is, if we're following Jesus, we've got to feel what Jesus felt in that deep movement, the righteous anger over what was taking place. And obviously, I think for him, it, it, similar to our cultural moment, just looking at what sin has done to humanity. And so it's okay to be deeply moved. It's okay to lament. To not do so, I think, is to not follow Jesus. Hmm. Uh, And then to go where Jesus goes. I was struck by the fact that Jesus walked right to the tomb. Jesus came into planet Earth. And so for me, following him is an internal aspect of letting Jesus, uh, letting, letting the emotions of Jesus well up within me and then going where Jesus went. I was, first thing, honestly, that struck me reading through it was looking at that little verse, Jesus wept. Mm. Because I grew up in the church, and we would have Bible memory verse contests. And so that was one of my favorite verses. I I know that one. Uh, And it never occurred to me to just stop and to think, what a miracle that is, that God sheds tears. Jesus, who's the Son of God, chooses to enter into the unblessed condition of humanity. Mm. And... It's kind of part of what's striking in this to me is it doesn't even say exactly why he was moved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, uh, he was the son of God. We don't know how all that worked in his mind. Uh, did he know he was going to experience resurrection already? Uh, is he entering into that because he is entering into the empathy and the pain of the people who are being there? But uh, uh, to say, if I'm going to follow Jesus... I need to do what Jesus did. And maybe that starts, I I think probably for a lot of people who are white, there'll be this general pervasive sense of guilt. Yeah. And then that gets uh, struck periodically when there's a crisis. And then they'll be, well, we got to fix it. And because I don't live with the pain, I I have the luxury of not thinking of myself as a white person in a way that, uh, you can't live in the society and not think about your race right? Yeah. Uh, every day. So to say, before trying to figure out how to solve something or answer something, can we just with Jesus sit yeah. and enter into uh, the emotion of the moment yeah. and the anguish and the anger and the fear and the, before it's like, okay, here's how we fix it or here's what to do, just to let the depth of yeah. that grip me and it's striking to me that Jesus does that before he tries to fix anything. He, part of being human is entering into the pain of everybody. Well, so, can I just say, please. It, it's so obvious you almost miss it, but with both encounters, Jesus didn't say a word. They, they started it. He, he went in and listened. Mm. And I know for us at PCC, we're trying to take that as our first move, to step into the pain as listeners, uh, discerners, lamenters and not speak to the pain but listen and try to identify with the pain of our culture right now so i think that's amazing uh what we've been teaching at new beginnings is the first step in this process and he's modeling it is as you guys have said is to listen and then the second step is really to lament Mm. and 
What is really fascinating is, and I want to come back to something you said a moment. Uh, he, he looks around. Mary is crying. The community with them, the text says, is wailing. Yeah. And then it, it, I like the Jesus Well piece, too, because the shortest verse in the Bible, like it says, first verse I memorized. Uh, but perhaps the most surprising verse in this text is the part that says, and anger well uh-huh. up in him. Because so often we don't think of Jesus being angry. Yeah. And, you know, I like to point out that he, he wasn't angry at Mary uh, or the group. He's angry alongside of. Mm. Mm. She's mm. been robbed of her brother. Mm. There's an injustice there. Uh, I, I like to say that if you live to be 100 years old and you die, it is still prematurely because God intended for you to live well. well. Yeah, well, right? I love that, bro. So I want to explore this anger thing yeah. a little bit. You said something a moment ago, Pastor John. You said, well, you know, maybe white people in general may have this pervasive guilt. We haven't talked about this in advance, so I'm just just shows how much I trust you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should they have a pervasive guilt yeah. if, in fact, they've treated people with decency and respect and with integrity? In general, I'm talking about the people sitting in your community, people sitting in mines, uh, separate and apart from folk who we just know are racist. Okay? That, that question will often strike people as one of the most complex, layered, loaded, volatile questions that you can ask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a very simple answer to it. Okay. Pastor Gary? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Herman, what would you say? <laughs> Pastor Herman? Nope. Uh, I'll take a shot at it. All right. Because uh, I, I think a lot of times we think about racism just on the individual level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can kind of draw a spectrum where there's the really bad people and uh, they burn crosses, they're skinheads, neo Nazi, do violence. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that are, uh, they tell offensive jokes, they're, they're, you know, offensive in some way. And then there's people that are kind of neutral. They don't tell uh, racist jokes, they're not involved in trying to do good, but they're, they're neutral. And then there's the real good people that, you know, work at a uh, homeless shelter or whatever. Yes. Um, and it's looking mostly at just the individual heart. What that doesn't tend to look at is that... Uh, this problem of racism and racial injustice just gets into everything. And it's built into our society. I think lots of us in our churches are talking about how in order for slavery, race-based slavery, to be justified, a narrative had to arose that said whites bear the burden of, bear the image of God more fully than black people do because that's the only way you could justify that kind of injustice. And that narrative just gets into everything. It gets into our habits, into our reflexes, into patterns of speech, into when do I feel comfortable, when do I not feel comfortable. It's like any other sin. It's like approval addiction or greed. You can't shut sin off by flipping a switch. I might be able to avoid lying as an act of the will. uh, But when deceptiveness or pride has gotten way down deep inside me, 
or lust has gotten way down deep inside me. Both you guys wrestle with that one much more. You've told no. me than I do. Never. Um, but when it's there, I can't flip a switch and make it go away. Amen. And racism, is, that's why I think sometimes we haven't taught well about sin. Right. Uh, that sin uh, at a certain level, it just gets into you at the reflexive and habitual level and that does that inside of all of us and that does that uh, in the system, in the culture, in the nation. So yes, I bear the weight of that. Now, at the same time, I think a lot of people, when they hear a message talking about racism, um, their initial response will be, you know, I didn't enslave anybody. I didn't kidnap Mm -hmm. anybody from Africa. I I didn't endorse any Jim Crow legislation. So why do you put the burden of wanting me to feel guilty? I don't think trying to say to people, just feel guiltier is probably going to get us where we want to go. Right, right. So I, I think I understand and have some sense of how that can be frustrating for folks. But I think part of what's up to us is to teach the nature of sin and racism as a particularly pernicious example of sin that just gets into everything, like a drop of dye gets into the whole liquid. Mm. So that I am, I'm really not yet the best judge to say, should I feel guilty or not? Mm. Mm. And I think that's where, where, when the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart, why does mm-hmm. the psalmist say it? Because he didn't know his own heart. Mm-hmm. Mm. And anytime somebody comes to me and says, I know my own heart, and mm. I know there is no racism in it, well, maybe, mm. you know, good for you. But I'm sure not there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've been using a different lens uh, at PCC where we've been talking about, as followers of Christ, we live in no condemnation status, mm-hmm. right? Romans 8.1. Uh, but we also follow the Holy Spirit, and I hope we're open to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you flat out, and we've had these conversations, Pastor Herman, where I feel deeply convicted about uh, my role and my silence in this uh, narrative that, that erupted again. And that conviction, though, uh, is different than the shame and the guilt. It, it has a sense of the Holy Spirit prompting me to follow him into that, to speak up, and giving me the strength to do it. So I have found, uh, growing up even in a shame, honor, home, shame doesn't do good things for motivating in, in action, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. And uh, I've, there's not a church worth its weight that doesn't feel a conviction around this. We can't, we cannot stay immobile or silent anymore. Wow. That's powerful, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me, uh, let me just share uh, a little bit in this context, because I want my community to hear me say this. And first of all, I want to say that African-Americans are not homogeneous inside of this thing. All right. So there's a wide variety of views around it. Uh, around multiple layers of what's going on. Uh, so here's the deal for me as an as a African-American guy and pastor who has two white uh, colleagues and friends who he loves uh, and who's never experienced any, uh, any form, any kind of racial issue other than just accepting me as a brother. So I want to say that out loud and I want to, I want to affirm that. I mean, that's part of why I wanted to have this conversation with you guys, right? Uh, so I don't want you to feel guilty, right? I, I, I don't want you to feel guilty for 300 years of slavery. I don't want you to feel guilty for 100 years of segregation that has encoded racial bias in every expression of American institution. I don't want you to feel guilty for that. Mm. 
I want you to be aware. Right? Uh, I want you to be aware of the fact that when I walk out my house every day, between Monday and Sunday, I'm going to have two to three encounters around race that you're just not going to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That when I go into the corner store and there's three other people in the corner store, the person behind the counter is going to watch me very closely. Yeah. Mm. Now, that's the counter you're not going to have, yeah. right? Um, if I go into an exclusive store on the other extreme, somebody's going to, if I get into an elevator, the lady is going to, depending on her age, if she's white, she might scoot over and grab her purse just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you're being aware. I don't want you to be guilty. I want you to be aware. I want, when you hear that, to be upset by it. And I want that to activate you, to say that wherever you see it, that you will use your power to speak to it and to do something about it. So I want my congregation to hear that because I think, now, we're not homogeneous, there are other folk who have different perspectives, but uh, uh, as, as the pastor of NBCC, I want you guys to hear. We're not looking for guilt. We're looking for a real sense of solidarity in the work of justice. And part of that comes out of lamenting, back to the text, part of this comes out yeah. of lamenting with yeah. one another, hearing my story and, and saying, wow, that's, you're angry. I, I feel, I, I'm kind of getting a little upset about that yeah. too, you yeah. know. Uh, feeling my grief and, and beginning to... You want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I, I think part of what it means is, again, it comes back to the text and the incarnation. I mean, Jesus enters into pain and just lives in it. Yes! And uh, uh, I think that a lot of times, uh, for those of us who are white who have not lived in that pain and don't live in it every day, there's this uh, expectation of the privilege of, I just want to be happy. Mm-hmm. I want the church to make me happy, mm-hmm. and I don't want to have to live in that ongoing tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I got a note uh, after this last weekend from my mom. My mom's 83 years old. Wow. And uh, she is being moved on this issue of racial justice in real deep ways. Wow. Uh, my grandfather, her dad, died when I was uh, just like five years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was this wonderful, gentle man. He was a newspaper guy, but he was also ordained in the church. She was from southern uh, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, that area. When her dad was mayor of the little town, St. Francisville, where she grew up, it was his job at sundown, if there was any person of color in the town, to come and tell them they were not welcome to stay there. Mm. Wow. Wow. And that was my grandfather. Mm. Wow. And he read his Bible every night. And I knew him as this wonderful, loving man, and yet that was my grandfather. Mm. And so my mom is tuning in every week and walking through all these issues, and that's all part of the, uh, I, I think, weight. And I, I, I appreciate, Pastor Herman, the way that you're saying it. Not that I need to carry the guilt of what he did, because he mm-hmm. did it, not me. Mm-hmm. But I need to understand something of the world that formed and shaped him and the church that formed and shaped him that would let him read the Bible every day and never hear a word from God to say, that can't stand. Yes. And, and in all of that, 
I think about uh, when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and he says, there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Yes. But a godly sorrow that leads to repentance yes. and then is all this action. Yes. And it's like, as I hear you say that, something in my spirit says, yes, yes, yes. I want to be on that front line together with you moving in that direction. Praise God. Praise God. But I think I got to be willing to live in the pain where I don't yet know yes. uh, the happy outcome. That's right. That's so good. I'm struck by the last verse, verse 44, where Jesus does the miracle, and then others somehow remove the grave clothes. And I think perhaps this moment is the opportunity for us as uh, white pastors and white people to help remove the grave clothes of this sin in our culture. Wow. Somehow Jesus made it a community event in the miracle. Yeah. And if they didn't show up to remove the grave clothes, <laughs> Lazarus wouldn't have been very functional. Wow. Right? And uh, I am grateful, it seems, and you told me this, Herman, it seems like this is a different cultural moment than sure. 92 with Rodney King because um, much more of the church is rising up yeah. in this moment. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's on us. I can just speak to my congregation, but maybe on us, since we're one church, uh, to get involved together and remove these grave clothes. Mm. Wow, that's a deep point. Uh, this communal approach to the miracle because in addition to saying remove the grave clothes, he also said remove the stone. Mm. So somebody had to roll the stone out. This is a remarkable point. I hadn't thought about that. Wow. And I, I, I do think uh, that the church, uh, part of what we're doing here together, hey guys, you know what, part of what we're doing here together is we're helping to remove the stone. Yeah. We're helping to remove some of the obstacles yeah. that, that keeps uh, folk across race from being able to dialogue about tough things. Right. And, and I think we're modeling that if you are a Jesus follower, if I'm a Jesus follower, we're connected by the same shed blood from the flowing from the cross. So, you know, we, we share the same blood, right? So, so we ought to have the ability to respect each other and yet trust enough to dialogue. So, wonderful, wonderful. Let me just raise a point as we keep working through this text. Uh, so listening, lamenting, and then learning. What strikes me about this text is the first word Jesus says in this dialogue is, uh, where have you laid him? Where did you bury him? It's the first word. And they say, come and see. In other words, here's my translation. Come walk with us. Mm. That there's a part of this experience Mm. that requires some learning. I can't just, in one dialogue, can you just walk with me a little bit and walk with me in my grief? Uh, Man, you guys was out there. Both of you guys have been out there at the protests Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I don't know where you participated in the actual march part, Mm -hmm. but we've had... One of the things that's been so incredible about, for me, watching this as an African-American, you know, in San Jose, there may be like 1% African-American, 2% in that population. So the bulk of the folk in the San Jose march was were non-blacks mm. walking and saying, yeah. we're with you. You know, we're going to stand up for you. So I, I think that's powerful. But let's just say a word about this learning. Yeah. I, I see that as a metaphor for leaning in and learning. Uh, uh, in the process. So you guys talk to that. Yeah, and I, I think uh, 
Probably the biggest challenge of that one is just time. It's like we want to do everything immediately. Mm. And so I want to feel comfortable in settings where race gets talked about. I want to feel like I want to know what the right language is or what the right thing to do or what the right orientation is. But I want to have that immediately right now. I don't want to invest the time relationally or the fear or embarrassment of making mistakes or saying the wrong thing. And, and there's just no substitute for walking with. You can't microwave that part mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, uh, you have been so gracious. And yeah. I think of our relationship, I'm sure, with John, Pastor John as well. But you know, I can still remember having a meal with you and, and you sharing some of the experiences you had, specifically your call to ministry at that uh-huh. gas station. Yeah. And, um, and I know for, for me, it's on me, I feel like, in learning to, to take the initiative. Uh, we have a neighbor on our block who's African-American, and, and just to go across the street, knock on the door, and go, I don't even know what to say, but I'm here, and I'm sorry. Uh, uh, and just show up. Beautiful. And that, that's why we could not, at least I could speak for me, I'm sure for you, John, like, we could not not show up in Rivet City Excellent. last week where the lament of the city was going on. Excellent. Uh, just show up. Wow. Let God take it from there. Well, you know, one of the things that jumps out in this discussion of learning, and I'm, let me just again talk as an African-American, and I want to challenge African-Americans, Jesus follows as you're listening to me now. I want you to lean in on this point. We have to create grace so that people can walk. They can learn. That we, we have to understand that learning is a process. Quick story. Uh, I was doing my Twitter feed the other day, and somebody who's part of our community uh, who was fabulous, love her. And she said, she tweeted, uh, those of you who I haven't, haven't talked to me in months or weeks and you're white, uh, don't talk to me now. Stop calling me. Stop reaching out to me. Go sign a petition, go protest. Now, I get what she was, she, mm-hmm. she, she was saying. I want to, I want to let's activate you. But I do think she missed it a little bit. Because if I haven't talked to you in months, I don't have that kind of relationship, but what has happened has made me think I need to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what to say, and I'm kind of uncomfortable. So just the act of reaching out to you is a huge step of faith. And I'm kind of entrusting myself. That's progress. It's not like, it, it, you know, it's not, it's not like 100 miles of progress, mm-hmm. but it, is a, it, it could be 100 miles of heart progress. Mm-hmm. Right? So this notion of creating grace, Allowing people space to say the wrong thing and then say, now, can I just let you know how I heard that? And, and here's what would have been more helpful for me if you had it said it this way. And don't beat people up in the process. Just we have to walk with each other in this process. So I just want to note that. Now, let me ask a question over that. Violence. This thing has uh, been riddled with violence. And uh, I mentioned it the other day, uh, and then I got an email about it. Uh, said, you know, you didn't say enough about the violence. And um, I, I abhor the violence. Let me just say it again. I abhor the violence. I don't endorse the violence. That's my personal perspective. Uh, I think violence 
uh, is impractical. I think it messes up the message. It's wrong. But what I said was, while we decry the violence, let's take some time to understand the why. Mm -hmm. Talk to that, guys. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, one of the quotes from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that has circulated a lot is that a riot is the language of the unheard. And uh, often when people have this sense of helplessness, it becomes like a catch-22. It's like uh, people will say, well, you ought to just protest mildly and peacefully. Well, that's been tried since 1620 Mm -hmm. and hadn't worked so well Mm -hmm. so far. So I I couldn't agree more. Violence, a friend of mine, uh, they have a family business in L.A., and that got vandalized and looted. And so one of the family members had to go there and talk to the people that were doing it. And that was a scary thing. That shouldn't happen. It's not productive. Uh, some people have jumped onto this, whether from the left or the right, and mm-hmm. just used it, uh, leveraged it, either to loot or to do uh, just ungodly violent things. That's wrong. should stop. We all ought to name it. Um, but if it were to distract from the conversation about how do we move towards a more just, equitable society that would honor Jesus, that would be tragic. Absolutely. If it kept us from hearing the voices that we heard. There's a uh, theologian at uh, Fuller Seminary, his name is Radcliffe, and he did his dissertation on Christianity and hip-hop culture. Wow. Mm-hmm. And one of the analogies he used was, if there was a woman outside this building right now, and she was being assaulted, she would be violated, and she tried to get her assaulter off of her by using every cuss word she could think of. You know, we would not go out there and say, excuse me, ma'am, we'll help you, but you have to clean up your language first. Wow. Wow. We'll help you, but you start talking the way that we would. Wow. Well. No, there's an assault going on. Wow. And uh, it's not the whole story. Yeah. But it was a very helpful metaphor for me in thinking about uh, voices, for example, from hip hop culture and the way that things will get expressed. And uh, it's kind of the uh, uh, swallow a camel choke on a net deal uh, that Jesus was talking about. Like, let's not miss the mm-hmm. camel. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I've got nothing to add to that. That's amazing. That's the first time <laughs> in 24 years. Mark the day. Uh, all right. So uh, I think we've got about five minutes. So we're just going to roll this uh, towards the end. This, first of all, I can't thank you guys enough. This mm. has just been really amazing, mm. really amazing. Uh, so walking uh, with each other, learning from one another, allowing time for that learning process to kick in. That's grace. That's what Jesus followers do on both sides, right? Then they get to the, to the grave. Mm-hmm. And I'm personally fascinated. I, it's a good preaching moment for me. I'm not preaching, I'm just saying. It's a good preaching moment. Uh, he says, roll away the stone, we talk to that. Then he prays, he says, well, look, Father, just so they know that, you know, I am who, that you're the one, I'm, you sent me, and I'm authentic. I thought I'm just going to pray this prayer publicly. And then, here's what I find fascinating. He calls, screams. The text says he shouts. Lazarus comes out, come out. And I can see Lazarus making his way out of the grave. What's so powerful for me in that moment is that Jesus takes 
what appears to be permanent reality mm. 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 and turns it upside down. Mm. Wow. And I see Jesus in that text. You know, when we talk about the church across race and ethnicity and class and politics, right? We talk about ourselves as the body of Christ. And what I think the text says to us, if we could just, uh, if we could just love the way Jesus loved across all these ethnicities, mm-hmm. if we could listen, lament, and learn, that would bring us to a place where we can act together. And the church still has the power in partnership with others who are not even people of faith, but we should be in the center of it. We still have the power to overturn what appears to be permanent reality into a better reality. Mm-hmm. Speak to that. That, that. Thank you. That's my preaching moment. I was going to say, if that wasn't preaching, I could come back and look at the real thing, man. I, I, I have little to add to that. I mean, I, I think this is our moment. This must happen. And um, I think that the church coming together in, uh, in this way of grace and truth, how Jesus identified 11 chapters earlier in John 1, full of grace and truth, coming together in a, a beautiful, multi-ethnic way uh, to be one body. I think that would be the attraction of the world. Mm. We're all longing for that. Mm, mm, mm. I, I think... Probably, Pastor Gary, what both you and I feel is uh, a deep sense of inadequacy, Pastor Herman, knowing you have lived in your bones with a form of evil that both of us recognize but have not carried the weight of like you do. And so to hear hope coming from you is very powerful. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a strange thing. Uh, when the Holy Spirit really gets poured out, uh, like at Pentecost, it's barriers that get broken. Mm. And slave and free, Jew and Gentile, mm. man, or the Azusa Street revival. Mm-hmm. And when the Holy Spirit really gets poured out with fire, yes. Yes. Uh, and then there's black and white worshiping together mm. equally in 1905, 1906. Mm-hmm. And then the Spirit cools and, and hearts harden and that goes away. Mm. Uh, and I do think there's a way in which, uh, obviously, we have to think about uh, legislation and political action and education and housing and economics, but we're dealing with a spiritual reality. And those of us who are pastors have to speak to that. And uh, that's part of why I'm so grateful for this conversation and be able to do this together with you, because I can't imagine a single... Uh, manifestation of God's grace that would turn more heads or open more Mm. hearts than if people looked at the church of Jesus Christ and saw that the sin of racism had been obliterated and there was genuine brotherhood or sisterhood. That's right. That's right. Why why can't God do that? Mm. That's right. That's right. That's right. That sounds like Pentecost. It's Pentecost. It's Pentecost. It is. I, I guess I'm out of time, so I'll close it here. And Let me just say a word about how I think Jesus, why I think he's uniquely the answer. You guys, it wouldn't take a few seconds just to 
lead into this if you want. Uh, and it, 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 I'm going to say it, and it's potentially challenging to even my community. Jesus is so unique. If you read past this passage, here's what you're going to figure out. You guys know this. It's what he does with Lazarus that triggers the the authorities to say, we got to crucify. This is the event Mm -hmm. that leads to crucifixion. So here's Jesus at the nexus of life. On the one hand, if you're not a part of the discriminated, the oppressed community, you can watch Jesus and run to him and learn from him as he teaches us how to listen, how to lament, how to walk alongside, learn, uh, and then how to act in a way that is incredibly powerful together with each other. On the other hand, if I was back in Roxbury Presbyterian Church in, the, in Boston, in that community where I pastored for 17 and a half years, and if I was talking primarily to the discriminated, primarily to the folk who end up on the wrong side, I would remind them that Jesus leaves here and he becomes a victim of police brutality. Mm-hmm. That it is the Roman police force, the authorities that arrest him and beat him all night long. Mm-hmm. I would remind the people in Boston that it is Jesus who in the criminal justice system of that day is found guilty even though he's innocent. And I would remind the people in Boston that it is the same Jesus who is sentenced to death. Mm. Capital punishment. Death row. Innocent. And he was killed. And then I would remind them, I think it was Carlisle, you guys, you know this better than me, who said, truth press to the earth will rise again. Mm. (laughs) And so it's in this nexus, you see, the oppressed run to Jesus because they find identity and one who loves Mm. and one who Mm. says, stay with me and I will will find a way to turn things around and raise you up. It is those who are not, but they also run to Jesus. Mm. And in this place, right, the body of Christ, the church, yeah. family emerges mm. in he who sheds his blood to redeem us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's my, my, any, any final things before we close? Maybe a prayer, whatever. I, I, I'm just very moved. What struck me as you were saying that, and I was thinking how wonderful Jesus is, is uh, how much of him do I miss? Mm -hmm. How much of Jesus do I miss Mm -hmm. when I don't see him through the depth of that? And I would only add how much of him do I miss when I don't see him through the eyes of uh, someone from a different culture. Right. Maybe you're getting that, but you have... You have so edified me right now and spoken to me. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Mm. Would you close us in prayer? 
Father, you have determined the times and the places where we should live. Your word is very clear on that. And this is our time as the body of Christ. This is our place on this peninsula. We would only ask that your spirit would stir within us, Mm. that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word or even of this dialogue or of John 11, but we would be doers. Mm. That your Holy Spirit would bring conviction, Mm. that we would listen Lord, our world is crying out right now that we would lament, that we would learn. And Lord, we pray what your son prayed in John 17, that you would make us one so that the world would know that you sent your son for salvation. We love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for New Beginnings Christian Church. Thank you for Menlo. Thank you for... Uh, these brothers in Christ. Thanks for PCC. Lord, use us as your hands and feet to remove grave clothes, to let people go. Mm -hmm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks so much for joining. I hope you learned a great deal uh, as my two friends joined me for this incredibly frank conversation around uh, race and how it intersects with faith. Now, what next step will you take? Let me challenge you. If you're not a Jesus follower, this is the day that you ought to say yes to Jesus. Let him redeem your life and become the model that you follow as you move forward in life. Secondly, I want to challenge you to have a couple of conversations with some folk who are not like you uh, about race in America in their lives. Obviously, if you're not African-American, I would encourage you to make sure that you're, t- you're having some conversation with African-Americans. And if you are an African-American, then obviously somebody who's different from you. And uh, look, ideally that's done with somebody that you have some relationship with. If you don't, uh, go to the next closest person. A couple of people may say they're not comfortable. Don't take it personally. God has somebody Just right for you to have that conversation, life-changing conversation. Here's the reflection question that I also want you to make sure you reflect on. What's one fear that's standing in the way of you pursuing a conversation with somebody about race? All right? Can't wait to see you next week. God bless you.